This episode of Camel Assembly Radio is brought to you by DFNS. So I love our sponsor for this season, DFNS. And as I was using their cleaning product yesterday, I was thinking about, and I don't know if the kids at your school ever did this Yelda or if it's just an Australian thing, but loads of the boys in high school had this spray deodorant and they would chase each other around and try to spray directly on the skin to make ice burns, Mm. which was deeply concerning for the cruelty, but also because the aerosols they would use are also really nasty for the environment. Whoa. What is an aerosol? (laughs) Really? Okay, like those, like those sprays you have for freshening, like air fresheners and protecting shoes and things. That sounds awful on my skin. Yeah, well, aerosols are made up of chemicals. That's what makes the propellant work, and it releases harmful solvents at the same time. DFNS utilize Aeropack technology that uses only compressed air instead of volatile chemicals. So when you spray, all you get is the actual product and nothing else. This has been a public service announcement about the danger of aerosols. <laughs> Assembly Radio, the radio show where we speak to female artists and activists about what they're making and where they're making change. My name is Keshia Hanum. And I am Yelda Ali. Yelda Ali, you started an incredible petition project movement last week. I started a petition a couple days after the passing of Juice World because I didn't know where else to start. I couldn't keep looking at that vicious cycle of something happens. Everyone prays and debates about it. Nothing happens. Something happens. Everybody prays and debates. Nothing happens. So I started a petition, and the first step I did was hit up a couple friends in the industry, a couple lawyers, a couple mental health professionals, just trying to get understanding of where the conversation should even start. What did you discover? Most importantly, that like, can we do something? Yeah, of course we can do something. There's always something you can do. So I was like, hey, Jenny, can I do like a class action lawsuit? I don't know the term. <laughs> she was like, has there been a class of people who have been injured? I was like, um, what am I looking for? She was like, potentially a petition. You know, I think that's what's important to share is like externally people think like, wow, Yelta, you really know what you're doing. And it's like, no, I don't. I'm just a regular person that's trying to figure out step by step what we can do. And so I went on change.org and really just read through the steps and understood. This was my first petition. Um, It was a great process to go through, understanding that usually when you want to petition, you petition something specific. So not only just a company, but like a specific person, you know, they really set it up for accountability. And so I thought, um, which did come into a conversation of controversy and I'll explain that in a sec but I selected John Janik of Interscope Records I thought you know what 
I know there are a lot of cultural changes that need to happen around the conversation of mental health and drug addiction and the glamorization of a lot of things in the music we listen to. But I also know there's some systemic problems and we can look at that. And I think that for me personally, I wanted to start with the people that are going to profit the most off of this death. And the context of the death was that Juice World passed away because of overuse of drugs. What was really important was to see the conversations around this thing, right? It was a lot of people being like, hey, that's, that's you know, it's not like this guy had mental health issues. He just had drug addiction issues. You know, that was important. I was like, oh, okay, cool. People are not realizing that might be a linked conversation. Um, and also people saying like, hey, you know, this wasn't that. This was like he was hiding drugs and he just took a whole bunch of drugs in that moment. And it's just such like branch thinking. Like people, I don't know why they would rather it's like there's this fear to go to the root of it it's like hey can we just admit there's like a root issue and that is mental health and there was an the other side of people being like the mental the you know the label isn't responsible for this person's mental it's like we'll read the petition because that's clearly what we say this isn't a blame game this is us saying hey take the money you're about to make off of this man's death invested in systems for your future artists and create a new standard in the industry. Here is an opportunity for you as a leader to lead another conversation. And it was a very, in my opinion, positive approach. To, the most positive approach we could take to a bunch of people that honestly don't give a damn. And I will say that on the record because God, it's just real. They don't care. They do not care. And that was an important thing for me to learn also was the amount of people in the industry and without saying they don't care. And the industry, the labels don't care. The label heads don't care. They'll go to your funeral and they'll, you know, eat off of it too. And I think that this journey of this petition, what was very important for me was to remember that actually it all is in our hands. And um, I've learned a lot in the conversation of why people don't believe in their power, how people just are honestly lazy, and um, how much they don't have ownership. And there's often times where I try to sugarcoat those truths, but that's just what it is. And I saw that in so many different messages sugarcoated. And the bottom line is, you just either are living a powerless life, you don't believe that you can make change, you don't believe in the power of communities, or you don't care. And God, I saw leaders that had four followers, you know, on social media. Leaders are not people, they're actions. And I really saw that as well. It was very, very humbling to see the amount of leaders that I have in my life who led um, spoke on it in more intelligent ways that I could, taught me things in this journey. And, you know, this is just the beginning of the journey, but it's been very eye-opening. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. It was really interesting seeing, like, the debates go back and forth in the comment sections at times and how people are in these really um, destructive and helpless cycles or loops of thinking. Like, mm. Mm, I don't know why you're doing this. Things don't change. Think about Kurt Cobain. Think about Whitney Houston. <laughs> Think about... And then... We'll literally never change anything ever because it's like, well, it's always been like this. So it's always going to be like this. And it was really interesting to see how much people that believe in response. that because it 
absolves them of any responsibility. It was really sad to see how many people were like, just, and I know they're trying to be complimentary, people being like, you're doing God's work. It's like, no, I'm not. This is human work that I'm doing. And unfortunately, in some cultures, especially in the West, the Western culture, like nobody wants to serve one another. People are so focused on themselves and so self-serving that there's just no ownership of one another. There's no tribalism and... And that's why you came up with this this term, right? Trend praying. Tell us what that means. <laughs> what does that mean? I love it. Yeah, you know what I would love to make? Trend praying channel on Twitter where you just see whether it's mass shootings or natural disasters or another young kid that's dying to drug addiction how much people just trend pray their lives away. And what does trend praying mean? Jump on the trend when it's happening. Today, this is what we care about, guys. Today, we care about the impeachment. Tomorrow, we care about what's going on in India. On Thursday, we care about this thing. And actually, if you talk about the thing that happened on Tuesday, we're, we're too late. That, that was three days ago. Prayers, prayers, prayers. And you know what? Of course, we need to send that energy but that's not your action. Every single day, with as little as anyone has, you can figure out a way to just, even if that's like, find a link or an organization, tweet something of purpose that can educate or inform is like, do you think I give a shit about the 57 people that told me they're praying for Paris? Like, why do I care about you praying? I want to know what your actions were. Did you show up somewhere? Did you donate three hours of your time? Did you spread a link to 30 of your friends? If you care so much, what did you do? And I almost, not in a shameful way, but I almost want to just make trend pray, praying a very transparent thing in society is like every time someone trend prays I want them to realize that's what they're doing yeah and I think there's a balance right because it's like I think what people are ultimately saying when they're sending thoughts and prayers is that they're trying to offer sympathy but the the issue is that when you offer sympathy about everything never actually allow that to translate into action as you're referring to you become numb yourself well you know um I will let you start writing my tweets in the future. <laughs> well, I can't do that anymore because you deleted your Twitter account. <laughs> I did it for the people. <laughs> it's official. Um, you heard it here, guys. Yelda is off Twitter. <laughs> speaking of things that are killing our society, um, I saw on your social media something about code switching. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, you know, I've this year's been interesting and I've taken a, a number of different foci on certain things themes and topics that I've found that I care about. And I have a lot of conversations about uh, diversity and subconscious bias. And particularly, I have that with majority people. So either white people, privileged people, or, or men. And the conversation of code switching comes up a lot. I had uh, a dinner the other night, and I said, we were talking about code switching, and I realized a lot of the people in that room, a lot of the 95% of them were women of color. Didn't A lot of them didn't know what code switching was. Anyway, I put something up on my Instagram about code switching and a bunch of people hit me being like, what is code switching? And I was like, oh, okay, this is a term that I thought was quite common, but is actually probably not. And I realized the, the reason I think it's common is because it's quite common in America. And the reason it's common in America is because there is a significant racial inequality here. And as I've said many times about America, it, it is a leader in communication and storytelling. And mm -hmm. so when things happen here, they allow us to communicate about other cultures that are where things are invisible. And anyway, having spoken about 
code switching, I did want to sort of have a conversation about that because I think it it really helped me to understand my identity. Code switching came; it, it was a linguistics term um, that was that was invented by a linguistics professor, and he spoke about how when someone speaks two different languages, you will code switch, i.e., you will language switch depending on the environment that you're in. It now has a cultural application, and usually it applies to people who are minorities who come into majority cultures and code switch so as to make themselves more likable, to be able to get things that they're wanting, to avoid distress or danger, a number of different reasons. Sometimes it's literally a lizard brain reaction. Or survival. Of, uh, yeah, well, of survival and also of mimicry. Like the amount of people that speak back to me with a vaguely British accent in this country is. It's just like we hear something and we react to it because we want to be liked. The basic human instinct is, yes, to to be safe and to belong. And so we do that. The, the point that it becomes dangerous is when we are code switching to the point where we don't have our own identity. And I think having been the perpetual immigrant that I have been, I realized that a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, I've code switched so much and I was so proud of it. I would call myself a cultural chameleon very proudly. And then I realized I don't know who Keshia is when she's not code switching. And I think that is the case for a number of people, particularly people of color, particularly women, who have code switched to a very masculine, to a very Caucasian um, standard that, you know, values rationale and values levelness and being a, a very demure woman and very, um, depending on the context, it has a number of different applications. But the idea is overall that we change ourselves so as to ingratiate ourselves with other people but the problem is those people rarely have to do that back and so pointing that out it has the ability to make us aware of where we're code switching and ultimately for me it has deepened authenticity recently i've been going through just realizing how many people will like say my name right my name is not yelda my name is Yaldo. I'm not going to ask people to know how to say my name because I had never had given myself the right. We came here and figured out how to make Western versions of our names that people could pronounce. My legacy is being attached to like a Western version of my name and code switching when affecting your authenticity, but in the way of survival and having to communicate and find unity and find like a common language, I do find it necessary. I personally have benefited from code switching. I know that. And I think there is a middle ground. Um, but even not even the benefit of it, like that's the thing is I don't even mean like use it, you know, to get something. No, but just like to be able to get a job, to be able to feed your kids. There's places where like there's no choice. Code switching is like... Um, how can we speak the same language? I want to start getting our guests involved, and we're so excited to have two incredible... Patient. Patient women <laughs> with us today. Saisha Srivastava and Janelle Martinez, welcome. Welcome, sister. Thank Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for being here. We do want to ask you, and, and maybe Saisha will start with you, who are you, what are you making, and, and where are you making change right now? I am... The winner of a very random and accidental birth lottery where I've ended up with a whole lot of things that I have no business doing or being. You know, I've had some incredible opportunities. I was born and raised in India and above everything else, I'm Indian. Um, I grew up there. I came to the U.S. for college uh, adjusted work, worked in China for a while, started a couple of companies, failed at a couple of companies, came back, finished school and did a couple of things 
after particularly in the healthcare space and now I'm moving more towards sustainable infrastructure. Um, but I think I'm just as human and lost and confused and trying to figure out what is the best way to be helpful and to make an impact and to improve the lives of as many people around me as I can. And I think that's kind of where you and I overlap is because we care deeply. Like we, we care deeply about our own happiness and we care deeply about the happiness of people around us. And we want to be able to understand that amidst all of this frustration and confusion and um, oscillation of the world heading in, in these really incredibly scary directions, where do we fit in as a generation? You know, where do we go from here? Who are we and, and what is our place? Mm. So by that standard, I think, you know, we're all, I mean, I don't want to sound acid trippy about this, but <laughs> we're all essentially the same person trying to figure out a subjective understanding. <laughs> Be here now. You are me and I am you. No, but that's actually so real. What are you making right now? A couple of different things. I just opened my own company. I am trying to figure out if that is something that I want to pursue in terms of sustainable infrastructure. So, mm. Janelle, who are you? Between the conversation around code switching and then also your very authentic, real intro, I'm kind of like, well, who the hell am I, right? Because I think we oftentimes come to spaces, I know me professionally, where I'm like, I'm ready with my pitch and I've had to really tap into like my most authentic self to, and be like and trust in myself to be like this is what I'm doing this is who I am you know whatever that looks like at that given time mm -hmm. um and so I always like to give homage to like the women in my family I am the daughter of Juana Martinez Dominga Velasquez. Ooh. The lineage goes back far, but I really wouldn't be the woman that I am today if not for their sacrifices and who they are. The work that I do is to amplify the stories of Afro-Latinx women. Mm -hmm. And so what I am making is content. I write for quite a few publications and most of the content that I am creating is centering those of the African diaspora through Latin America. Mm. Um, and mm. with my website, Ainta Latina, I've been making and working and failing and amplifying and a bunch of things for the past six years with that. And again, really just centering the stories um, that I haven't seen, that I didn't grow up seeing and waiting for other people to do it. I just was like, it's time, I'm gonna do it myself. So I'm constantly making and working on that. Wow such representation that's needed. There are so many intersections of identity that is not being covered in media. And it's simply to continue mm -hmm. amplifying the same voices. Mm -hmm. It's a deep power struggle, I feel, at times. But I think that like these spaces that you ladies have created is really important. So mm, thank you. Can I can I ask you. you a question? And I know this is um, this probably has many answers. Um, but when I moved to, to New York, you know, a year ago ish, um, the conversation was very much that the way that we should refer to the that category of people as Latinx. Um, and I was just wondering your take on, you know, I would love to be educated on that. Is it, is it uh, an offensive thing to call somebody uh, a Latina or is it is it sort of, you know, the difference between Myanmar and Burma, you know, where it's two different ways and um, what what is the the context of the dialogue around that? 
people tend to say that the term Latinx came out of like academia, but I would say it more so came out of like digital conversations and then academia sort of kind of picked up on it. And people, I feel like of the millennials and younger, like we rock with Latinx and also, you know, those that are a little bit older, but I know in conversations I've had with my own parents, they're like, Especially my mom is like, what? Like, that's not a term that she resonates with. And so I would say that I've seen a lot of pushback from older generations around Mm. this term because the X doesn't fit into, comfortably fit into the romance language. It's like... Or right. ah, right? Like, where does the X fit into? Wow. And so there's a lot of It's almost anger. assimilation again, right? Right. And so people are kind of saying, like, well, we didn't agree upon the use of the X. Like, where is this coming from? And so there are even millennials that don't necessarily care for the term either. And I was going to double back. I know when we were talking about, like, essentially a binary, right? Black and white. Because even here in the States... When you look at identity, it doesn't matter even if you're like somewhere in the middle, you will be racialized as black or white, even amidst Latinos, right? Because mm-hmm. also, which is rightfully so, because that is not a racial category, it's an ethnic, an ethnicity, right? So people can be anything within that. Um, but I do feel like the binary doesn't apply in many, many respects, but oftentimes we still what not by our own um, doing have to operate within them or try to make the best out of those situations mm. Mm. or yeah. or completely go rogue um which I'm always down for but <laughs> I feel like you know it you have to kind of like make a choice and sometimes it's a survival skill yeah oftentimes yeah I, I agree I think it always you know becomes about survival and even when there's uh, even when you think people are operating from a place of sheer like ignorance and violence and you know why are they behaving this way people don't realize that it's always a self-preservation mechanism and sometimes it starts to take really ugly forms and that's all i could think about you know when you were talking about like anybody from india that's listening to this at this moment will be like, when are we going to talk about the CAB? When are we going to talk about the NRC? Because what's happening at home right now is completely batshit. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and it's because this idea of identity taken by the present government has taken it to the extreme where they feel threatened by a minority to a point where they're systematically mm-hmm. trying to create um, a precedent to discriminate against people on the basis of today it's religion or today it's citizenship. Tomorrow it could be sexual orientation. The day after tomorrow it could be like other religions. Mm. It could be wealth. It could be class. It could be a particular kind of Hinduism. And all of this is about, okay, what is making us feel like we need to draw these lines, right? And what are we feeling threatened by? Why do we feel so different from the people sitting across from us to a point where we can put them in this other box and pretend they aren't human? Like, I don't, you know, it's the, the point about history is no, it's not about learning that Hitler killed six million Jews, right? The point of history or, or for all of us studying history should at least in my opinion be, you know, what what was society at that point like for them to believe that it was for ordinary Germans to have been convinced that it was okay to do this 
or that it was necessary to do this or that they needed to turn a blind eye to do this because that's the precedent that we kind of need to learn from as far as identity is concerned. Mm. Like it's not, you know, hey, what stickers can I slap on myself? Like am I am I Jewish? Am I Arab? Am I Indian? Am I Hindu? Am I Muslim? It's it's more like what does this do to who I am as a person and and how I choose to be in this world? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what, what what's scaring me today and that's it's why I can't really focus on anything else. Coming from like a Muslim background and being Shia and the thing about religious people is they genuinely don't want their religion to die. These followers of God believe it's their purpose to preserve their religion and to keep it and to keep it sacred and to not lose it and that's a big reason why you're not allowed to marry this and you're not allowed to this and you should stay away from this is because deeply actually these followers of God think they have this vision (laughs) that is you know, the way to heaven. A hundred percent followers and influencers. And let's begin, you know, where it began, right? Let's begin with religion. Somebody that is a follower is turning to somebody for knowledge, for authority, and for an understanding or an insight into something that you don't have, right? It's somebody that's telling you that this is what I think God wants, or this mm-hmm. is what I think you is, is that you're threatened by. Mm-hmm. It's somebody choosing to interpret that. And that is what is really scary, is mm-hmm. because, um, yes, on, on an emotional level for followers, it is about God. But for on a very real, like, global level, it's about power. It's about elections. It's about money. Yeah, and I also, I think that whether we're speaking about like traditional religion, or we're talking about social media, regardless, you just cannot lose yourself. We're all searching for different things, right? But if you are searching for something without knowing or having a strong enough sense of who you are, that's when, in my opinion, you get sucked into the deep hole of five hours flipping through IG stories. Right. And to your point, it's, I think the two are very closely related, right? Yuval Noah Harari writes about this really well, right? Where he says that paradise was promised to you if you did all of these things, but that was a tough sell versus the capitalist commandments now, which essentially say you will attain paradise if you buy more stuff. Except instead of God, these choices are being made for you by a very, very small group of people. Being like, Buy my lipstick. I'm God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what it is. Fashion as a whole, as an industry, is like declining. By and large, the companies that spend their money on buying good quality source material, are paying their employees a healthy wage, those are losing out to this like buying culture of H&M and Zara, which is going through the roof. Like Mm -hmm. those are the only two large companies that ended up making a whole lot of money last year. Um, Yeah, and I totally agree that that's more in alignment with the spaces that I tend to occupy or want to see myself in online. Because I totally agree that we're seeing the follower or influencer culture really dominate things in a way that is unhealthy. But often what I'm seeing, and I know this can be very different from the other side of the coin, is people using their social media platforms to educate people um, in a way that traditional media is not. So dispersing information that you would think that you might get first on like, you know, Channel 7 News, but instead you're seeing it on someone else's feed through their IG story or another, you know, whatever platform they choose to use. So I think we are seeing positive 
following um, and follow a positive community building through social media in that way. But these companies, again, are making it harder for activists and creatives to get their messaging out. Which is funny for a company that says it builds communities for a living. Talking about devotion and followers, an interesting adjunct examples, there was two people who I don't even want to give honor of naming who they are, but a certain president and a certain rapper, I saw two overlaps in the behavior of their followers on social media over the weekend. In both of their examples, we, they are heinous men who do not be- deserve much credit and much grace, but their followers literally do not care what the facts are. They don't care. There is a devotion. There is a devotion to the level of you actually are not imbibing fact. You can't actually listen to what is true because you think that this person, whatever they've said, that you are you're in such a brainwash point. But we haven't given people tools and education. And so now people are very vulnerable. And that is a really um, dangerous place to be. And it makes me question what what is the what not what is the solution, but how do we transition people from being followers to being leaders? And what actually makes a good leader now? I don't even think that actually that's necessary. I don't think that everyone needs to be a leader. I don't think that everybody is a leader. There's room for no gray when we equate it to leader and follower. Whether we're talking about, you know, this dynamic or even when we talk about building up social movements, everyone has to really know what their strengths are. I also want to bring light to like that gray space. No, I completely agree. I think that's such an important point because I think we are like a web of interconnected nodes and the sometimes your purpose as a node is pretty much just to serve as a neurotransmitting path to whoever it is that you have access to. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. There's a gray space and we are at times followers and we are at times leaders. But we we don't come back to the root issue, which is how do we ensure that whether whether we're in the seat of leader or a follower, that the information is good, that it's pure? Well, you know, Picasso wasn't told hey, look, you got a million followers, and now you got to be a good social activist. And Martin Luther King wasn't told he needed a million followers to make change. The less followers you have, the closer you are to them, the more they trust you, the more change you can make today. But that's for people who want to make change. Now we got to meet people where they're at. Not everybody cares to make change. I think a lot of it has come from a lack of hope. And systematic like oppression has a big part to do with it. The examples that you gave, MLK, right? Him deciding that you know enough was enough, and I'm going to, with the resources that I have, blaze this new trail. I think some people have that within them to do, but sometimes the circumstances, because of oppression, because of all these systematic, the bullshit, people are literally just trying to survive. And so it doesn't afford some the opportunity to even have the mental space to say to themselves, I am going to get up today and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Sometimes folks use these very tools that we're talking about to escape a form of escapism for them because they're just like, you know what? My day to day is so strenuous. I just don't even want to think about the pressures that I have. I'm just going to go on here and just like, Look at maybe this Fashion Nova dress mm. that I hope that I can save up my next check for. Sisters, thank you for being with us on this convo. What we usually do is not wrap it on such a brilliant, heavy note. We get a little silly with rapid fire questions. Five only, okay? 
Pamela Assembly's Rapid Fire. Not so rapid, but very fire. Rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Fire. Rapid. Fire. Okay. Five questions. Five questions. Cider or hot chocolate? Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Any day. Home Alone 1 or 2? Neither. Neither. (laughs) (laughs) Selena or J-Lo? Neither. Neither. (laughs) Why? I have a lot of respect for Selena, but um, J-Lo, who is also from the Bronx, does not give back to our borough. Um, Less controversial. How many pillows do you sleep with? Four. Oh, I feel like I'm basic one. Whoa! <laughs> no, but but I so I, but what I'll do is over the course of the night I'll like get all four of them out of the way oh. and I'll just be on the mattress. <laughs> um, what was the last thing you searched on Wikipedia? I think I looked up someone's birthday. I know it was probably a celebrity mm. to see what to then see what their like astrological sign was. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> I was looking at the plot line of American Psycho.